reading a book that demonstrates to you how this is working in the world is so much more persuasive, is so much more effective, has so much more of a chance of actually altering your perception than having an argument about it. You have to call out racism. Right. You have to call out sexism. You have These are things that need to be called out and I'm not saying they shouldn't be. What I try to avoid is just putting myself up into some sort of superior position. Like I want to call it out from a place of knowing that I have also been guilty of doing right. that. Right. Yeah. Yes, that's that yeah, me too. Hello. I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Jessica. Hello, Jess. Hi. (laughs) I kind of like went for like, I don't know whether to call you Jessica or Jess, so I'll call you both. That's really funny because I feel like I've had kind of a, not exactly name change, but I have kind of moved more into Jess than Jessica since I moved to the UK. Right, we like shortening names, I think, in this country. Uh, Yeah, to the point where somebody (laughs) was filling out a form for me and put Jess. Stone and I said, oh, my name is Jessica. I mean, I don't mind that people call me Jess. I like it when people call me Jess, but filling out forms, my name is definitely Jessica. Right. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Well, that's interesting because I, I'm a Dave, right? And okay, right. Uh, people call me Dave. I mean, I am, you know, my name is David. They're, right. they're not wrong, yeah. but it doesn't sound right to me now. Like I got, I got a nickname when I was at school. And so that was my name for ages. And then I reclaimed my name as Dave. Uh, and so now, weirdly, David sounds wrong. You, you know, when you get into those email exchanges and you just keep signing off as Dave and people just keep on just addressing you as David. Oh, no. Next, like, just, um, but yes. Yeah, I have a school naming story as well. And it's the reason why, to this day, only two people that I can think of are allowed to call me Jesse. It is definitely not a name I go by in general. And it's because when I was in preschool, I asked another little girl in preschool whose name was Jesse if she would play with me and she kicked me in the shins and so right. from then on when people tried to call me jesse i would say very primly my name is jessica right <laughs> this is always associated with that yeah yeah that's that's the thing with names isn't it like it's, it's, yeah, it's unfortunate if you meet somebody who you don't like with a name and then later in your life you know they become your like somebody with that name becomes your partner or whatever and you have to like, deal with that yeah um <laughs> Yeah, names are complicated. And I should say we're recording in my flat, which means generally for background sound fans, it'll be quite a nice sound environment. Although it sounds like my neighbours upstairs are doing their washing. So there's <laughs> the, sound, the ominous sound of a of a washing machine in the background at the moment. But I think that will end and uh, then that will be a, a change in the sonic background, which will be pleasant when that stops because it's a bit annoying for me at this moment. So, yeah, it's weird because I've got the headphones on and you haven't, so you can't hear this. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, that's a powerful mic you've got because I can't hear any washing machine. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's good. I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's good and it's bad that it picks up a lot, but it does pick up a lot, this mic. So, yeah, the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? Well, I think my first encounter with you was at the London Podcast Festival when you were teaching a Maker's Workshop right. on storytelling, which was wonderful. Um, Thank but you. then I met you, I mean, I'm sure we, we met there, but we properly met then at a podcast meetup. I think it was a Christmas meetup 
this past Christmas. Yeah, that sounds um, right. That sounds right. Yes, I just remember that it was a very loud environment because there was a band playing and they were very good and they were very enthusiastic, but it was very hard to hear. It was really, it was one of the hard, very hard, like, place to come into like it was very yeah like I, I like socializing mm. but I don't always find it easy in all contexts and certainly I find it really hard when there's competing things like when there's lots of sensory yes. overload in lots of different ways and it I'm was, the same actually loads of people there's a crowded yeah. bar and I'm not even that into go into bars these days I used to be um, <laughs> you know it's not even always about the loudness it is as you say just competing things yeah. it's just too many things I can't tune them out yeah. yeah and so yeah it was a, it was but it was a podcast meet up a podcast a meet up and uh, there was a, a bunch of different people who all do a, 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 a similar thing although podcasting in general is, is quite a diverse thing to do like yeah. you you the audio that you make up until now has been kind of released on Mixcloud and it's kind of radio based yeah. uh, whereas you know there's other people there who are like putting out podcasts uh, like on the internet and it's not having not having anything to do with radio um, and there was a real there's always a mix of like why people have come to podcasting what their background are like some of us have, have got some experience in audio before getting to podcasts other people they hear the word podcast and they've learned everything on the on the fly quite a lot of people are, are sort of approaching podcast as an extension of this other thing that they're really interested in is kind of a means to a different end where for others I think the podcasting is the end it is the what you what you're wanting to do or make right um, I think that's more me that the audio that I'm trying to create is the point I'm not doing it in order to sell something else or why people are making a podcast mm. can can often be very different. There's a lot of people at the moment who are looking at podcasts as a way of of making money, which is a mistake. Yes, uh, <laughs> listeners, I'm afraid. I mean, not that you can't make money from podcasting, but don't don't expect it or or, or assume it. Um, it, yeah. it will be more difficult than you think. And you know, then yeah, there are some people who are just making it to have a a platform. Um, but not necessarily because they know what to do with that platform. And then there's other people who are making it because they have something that they want to say. And podcasts seems the easiest way to say that because it is there's a low bar of of, of of difficulty to get into it. You can you can make a successful podcast much more easily than you can make a successful video or yeah. a successful uh, write a novel and get it published. No, that's that'll take a long time. Whereas yeah. a podcast you publish. So there's all of these kind of reasons why we all end up in this in in noisy bars trying to hear each other. <laughs> exactly. But then at the same time, there is a nice thing about podcasting I often find is that because everybody has a shared interest and then that the, everyone's very supportive yes. and that's that's really nice it is really nice I think one of the most important things that I have learned um in going on this journey and I, and it's weird because I I don't feel like I can call myself a podcaster yet I'm kind of transitioning into right. that um so I've been doing community radio first and then kind of flinging the results up onto Mixcloud but I started off just so timid about it and so afraid to ask anyone for anything you know to ask someone to be on my show or to ask if I could record an event or or something like that and it turns out 
that people are so much more supportive than I had imagined they would be, that people are just so happy to be on board and help. Mm. And I yeah. found that I found that really lovely and refreshing when like so much of the news can make me feel like, you know, I have, a, I have this common refrain in my head whenever I hear another outrageous thing, which is, Ugh, people are the worst. Right. Um, and so <laughs> it's been really wonderful actually um in in this experience to 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 realize how many people around me are actually the best are yeah, just yeah, so lovely yeah. and kind yeah i mean that's that's yeah i know what you mean i mean people are the worst is a an understandable thing to feel a lot of the time but it's it is one of these things where it's like it's also true that people are the best yes both of those things coexist yes. <laughs> uh, within within the world i always thought that about working with the under fives that that you know get people early enough they're all lovely mm. and then the more what the world gets into you the more it becomes complicated the more people are more likely to be the worst but we've still got those young people inside us too no i've met i've met a couple of uh, dodgy four-year-olds <laughs> i mean yeah but you can see why they're dodgy maybe i mean and then also yeah dod- yeah i mean I'll, I'll give you that to a certain extent <laughs> To a certain extent, but like two-year-olds, maybe not so much. No. See, not. I mean, that's the thing. Go back early enough. I know, yeah. <laughs> Those newborns. Oh. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. They, they, never they, met an evil newborn. They never say anything mean to you because they can't speak. That's um, it. Yeah, I mean, podcasting is is that, is a supportive community. I mean, I don't know. It's also going to change as podcasting is changing. Yeah. And so the people who podcast are going to change. And also the ones who turn up to a meetup might be different from the ones who don't and so we might only be meeting the nicest podcasters um but at the same time that's that's our reality and that's so from from that point of view yeah I've I've never met a podcaster who's not been willing to support others and like you say when you make a podcast you discover that yeah uh getting guests is is easier than you think that people will say yes more often than you think even big names and famous people exactly yeah I mean the first time I was going to talk to an actual author about his book that I had read I was just so nervous about it because he was a big deal and I was so not a big deal and it it was just the nicest experience you know the, the, they were so gracious and not in a condescending way just in a well of course of course I'm happy to talk to you about my book it's well, been a real lesson <laughs> I mean that, you know it, it's in their best interest too I mean as someone who's now I haven't got a book that's published but I've got a book campaign that I'm trying to get published and like you know I, I'm trying to get on podcast now i'm like i i need to be on podcast to kind of increase people's awareness of that of that book and so i can understand why authors would get stuff out of speaking to anyone and also you learn about your work by yeah. listening to people who've read it and if you know you're having a one-to-one meet up with someone you're learning about what you think about that book when you're talking about it and what that audience member thinks about that book when they're talking to you so yeah, I mean, I imagine it must be nice. I mean, if you've poured so much of your time and effort and life really into a creative work, to actually get to talk to someone who's engaged with it at a very granular kind of level, who's who's really thinking about what you've done and really engaging with it, I imagine that would be kind of gratifying. Yeah, definitely. To some extent, yeah. I think so. And also, you know, we underestimate 
how rare it is to sit down and chat to someone. Yeah. Like, I know, I mean, it's, it's a weird thing for me to say because it's what I do. It's, 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 it's a kind of, you know, for me now at this point, it's like, well, you know, when do I not sit down and chat with someone? But when I started doing the show, yeah, it was rare. And it is rare to sort of like really focus on somebody else and talk to them. And that's, you know, that's, it's, it's valuable uh, social interaction that we just don't have often the time for, apart from our most intimate people we know. And so uh, it's, it's, it's really good to have these opportunities to, to do that, to connect with people, to listen and think and, and, and work out who you are. Because I don't know about you, but I certainly find out what I think about things by talking. <laughs> Very often, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, and just hearing somebody else's take on something as well is so helpful in my own kind of formative thoughts about a about a subject right yeah and so the second question I ask everybody is what do you do now what I do now is head up the speech programming for a community radio station and I create my own show which has been an hour-long program uh, up to now (laughs) it's going to end sometime this summer in its present form and I'm going to transition it into a podcast that won't have a set length necessarily and um, it'll be a real innovative covers podcast yeah I'll be a real podcast do you know I think this is really funny that it maybe wasn't too long ago and maybe some people still think about using podcasting as a launchpad to get into radio whereas like now I think of it the other way around like right. I'm using radio as a launchpad to get into podcasting really interesting. Um, you know like podcasting yeah. is the real thing <laughs> right and of course they're not mutually exclusive they can overlap successfully in a lot of cases but they are also distinct and different mediums they I think. are yeah. I mean some people don't think that some people in the podcast community sort of say it's all audio and all audio is kind of in the same box but I don't I don't think so I think there are are specific differences in how people listen to yeah. podcasts compared to how they listen to radio but also, and, and and how you know how radio works and how podcasts work are different and they're both similar like you say yeah but, I mean they do they definitely have some overlapping right um qualities and things but I mean one of the things that I'll be adjusting to you is that up to now I have had to fill an hour right. <laughs> you know that was say 58 minutes and 51 seconds right um, and and so the way that I went about planning a show was to start off with that hour and then divide it into chunks and and see how I would fill that time. And it sometimes meant that I had to include content, usually just me rambling on, that that wasn't a very good edit, you know, that that I just had to keep talking right. because I just had to fill, the, had time. To fill the time. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to start from a different point to, to be able to say, well, well, what is it that I really want to do? And then how much time will adequately showcase that? Right. You know? I mean, and yeah, I mean, and, and there's there's frustrations on time in both directions with radio. I mean, I, yes, one of exactly, the podcasts yeah. I make, the Restart Project, goes out on Resonance FM, so it has to be 29 and a half minutes, mm. like exactly. And so, yeah, sometimes I have to fill the time, <laughs> like you're, you're like you're talking about, and sometimes I have to like spend hours and hours trying to get down to the time. Um, so. It, yeah, yes, yeah. I've and, had to cut really good content as well before, right. and that was frustrating. Too. And it doesn't have like the same rules and sort of regulations and structures as as radio, which is liberating and also 
a potential problem as well. Like, yeah. so it's great to not have gatekeepers and it's great to not have time limits. Mm. But at the same time, that also means that some people don't think about time limits and don't think about what gatekeepers are doing like like, I don't like gatekeepers but one of the things they are doing is making sure that things are of a standard and so you do have these kind of complex things that happen between the different cultures really of podcasting and radio where like sometimes people uh, really don't like what they think of as kind of rough a loose content and then you have people who've that's what they listen for that's what they want they want to hear people talking for three hours uh, in a rambling way like I don't particularly listen to three hour long rambling shows but Lots of people do, and that then they like them. And yeah, that's so really interesting. Cause I wouldn't. That wouldn't be my cup of tea no. either. But I think a lot of people do kind of listen to it for the sense of companionship or something right. like that. But which um, actually came from radio as like that's yeah. more like the radio experience. Like, it is, yeah. So it's interesting when some of the, a lot of the people who kind of criticise podcasts that are looser and more kind of informal and, and long. The irony is that that's exactly what radio listeners get from listening to three hours of Radio 4 while they're working. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just a, a different way of providing that, that background uh, chatter. Yeah, I think one of the differences that I'm going to appreciate most about switching to a podcast format is... You know, with the radio show, quite often the listeners that I would have are accidental. Like it just happens to be on in the shop that they're going into or that's the station that, that their car is tuned to or whatever. But you don't listen to podcasts generally without intending to no, <laughs> you know exactly exactly i think i'm looking forward to a more deliberate audience i guess right right and it's personal like it's an yeah. ear what they were people often say is an, an earbud medium podcast yeah like because and, and i think that's true like because people are often listening on headphones um it's so much more kind of personal and they choose like you say to to to, to listen uh, it is a more personal in- interaction uh, between the podcast and the, the listener than it often is on radio, um, which isn't to say that that's the all radio. Like, there's no rules for all radio or all podcasts. They do definitely blur over and cross sure. over, and lots of the most successful podcasts are also radio shows. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that you're moving from radio to podcasts and that's the step up. It's, it's yeah. so interesting to hear that. I think so. I mean, it is for me, it's the step up. And I'm, I mean, I'm glad I, that I started off with community radio because I think maybe if I hadn't, I might never have released a podcast episode without first just having a bit of structure and a schedule so that right, I had right, to release right. things even though they weren't perfect <laughs> <Yeah>. at all <laughs> um, because I do have um, some really strong perfectionist tendencies that can be crippling if they're not brought to heel right, right, right. <laughs> so uh, that was that was really helpful but I think it became clear to me especially early in earlier in the year that radio was was now hampering rather than helping the, with the show and and some others who'd been at the station kind of said to me we've taught you what we can teach you so yeah I think that is the next logical step for it's me time, I think. time to swim on your own yeah that kind of moment yeah exactly yeah. that's a great moment to be in though I guess it's quite exciting to be spreading your wings and like being able to do the things that you've not been able to quite do even as you've been learning your craft I guess why did audio why did podcasting why did radio where did they come from in your life 
um, when I was an undergrad and not studying anything to do with radio, but I did do a bit of theatre as a kind of sideline thing. It wasn't what I was studying, but I was in some university plays and things like that. So through that, a friend of mine who was studying media and she had a course in radio and she had asked me, she had to do a project, so she asked me, would I be her interviewee? And did that and it was fun and the lecturer had told her that she'd picked a very good person to to interview that I'd done really well and then I didn't think anything more about it until 10 years later or so (laughs) I was asked a couple of times to do some readings on radio in Dublin and this was for RTE they were they would do these services I think and and a friend of mine who was chaplain at Trinity College Dublin. One of the services that he did was like a memorial for 9-11. This was the 10th, the 10th anniversary for that. And so he, it was just like prayers and reflections. And some of the reflections were readings from people at the time of 9-11. And they weren't necessarily religious, all of them, but they were quite varied readings. It was a nice experience and I got some really nice feedback. And someone actually said, you know, you might consider doing something in radio. You might consider that as a potential avenue to explore. And so I just started turning it over in my head a bit. And I did that a couple of times, um, just reading. I wasn't doing the talking. I was just reading scripts, really. But as I started to talk and think about that more, and I knew that kind of the, the way to get into that would be community radio. I was also starting to listen to podcasts. That was like a big, that was starting to become a big thing. And suddenly I found that I actually had an idea for a show (laughs) and I could think of uh, different features and I could actually think of topics for like the first five or six shows that I might do. And so I approached Dublin City FM. We were just starting, we were talking about it and getting started. And then we found out that my husband got a job over here in the UK. And so kind of obviously left that. <laughs> I never got beyond talks with uh, with that radio station. So then moving over here took me a few months to get my feet on the ground and get to grips with where I was. But then I started looking around for a community station that had enough kind of structure to offer some teaching because I didn't know anything about the tech or editing or anything like right, that. And right. so I kind of, I really wanted some place that had people who knew what they were on about and, and had time to do a little hand-holding <laughs> as well as I got my feet wet. So I started Dear Reader then back in, I guess it was September of 2016. Yeah. Right. And like really steep learning curve, I think. But it's been really fun. And I and I found, I was worried that I would run out of topics or uh, to talk about as if I were, were ever going to stop reading. <laughs> I right. don't know. Um, but but it hasn't been the case at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because reading is basically every topic because every topic yes. has been written about. <laughs> exactly. can be talked about in, from a reading point of view. I mean, so Dear Reader, like, comes from you being a reader, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. when did when did reading come into your life? I can't remember a time when it wasn't a part of my life. I don't know when I learned to read, but it was before I started school because... You know, I remember being in the kind of reading circle and that kind of patience that you have to have when uh, when others are learning to read, right. you know, and <laughs> um, I, I do remember a teacher actually admonishing me to be patient because I must have sighed out loud or something. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it was always from my memory it's always been a a part of my life and an important part we did a lot of road trips so I'm from South Carolina and uh, every year we would 
drive to Memphis, Tennessee, and that's about an eight to nine hour drive. And we would go see my relatives there. And I don't know if I could do this now because I'm probably more prone to motion sickness if I try to read too much in a car. But back then, anyway, it didn't matter where we were going, whether we were going to Memphis or somewhere else. I remember that my parents were constantly chastising me for not looking out the window to see what there was to see because my nose was in a book and it was so much more interesting to me what was happening in the book than it was what was going on outside the window. Right. You know? Yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think now I have to be quite careful when I'm reading in a car and, you know, have to have a window down or or something, but it doesn't stop me. Like, I'll make myself sick, but I'll still keep reading. (laughs) Yeah, I can also relate to that. I mean, so, yeah, so you, right, so you're from South Carolina. Yeah. But your accent now is a little bit more ambiguous. Yeah, it is. I say this as someone with a relatively ambiguous accent, (laughs) whilst being clearly from the UK, I guess I am. I think the thing that concerns me the most about my accent is that I'm afraid that it might come across to Americans as pretentious. But I think that's just because of the premium that's kind of placed on accents that aren't American, maybe right. by Americans. Right, I don't, right, I don't right. know. It is it is a constantly kind of changing thing. I have I have been told before that I was sounding more American now, or now I was sounding more Irish, right. or whatever. I mean, I married Irish, right. so and and lived in Dublin for eight and a half years. Obviously, when we moved over here, the Irishman came with me. So right, it's right. like <laughs> it's a continuing influence. Right. Um, but, I, but a lot of the podcasts that I listen to are American. And, and so there's this kind of tension right. always pulling. But I do sometimes find that it paralyzes me when I'm trying to say something because um, there are these all these micro decisions being made about yeah, whether yeah, I'm going, which yeah. pronunciation I'm going right, to use. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> which can cause some stuttering. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can, I can, I can hear... I can hear Dublin and Ireland within your voice, and I can mm. also, but I can also hear South Carolina, right? It's not. Well, that's the, nice. I hate to think I'd abandoned it completely. I think, <laughs> you know, if maybe if people didn't know to look for it, maybe they would not know that the there was the American thing there. But then that's probably quite useful living in the UK because there's loads of anti-American feeling in the UK. Well, for understandable reasons. Sure, yeah. I'm not saying yeah. it's not a more complicated thing, but I think I don't know. I think. There are justifiable reasons to be anti-American culture, but there are not necessarily justifiable reasons for people from the UK to think that they are in some way oh, better right. yeah, than right. people I, from America <laughs> because we're just as bad yeah. uh, on all of the ways that you could think you're better. Um, you know, the UK and, you know, we start, we, 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 we are part of why America is what America is yeah. is a big part of that is is the UK and so I think this I have a lot of American friends I guess and I get very annoyed uh, with the way that people are anti those individuals rather oh, than anti yeah. the, the system that is kind of like I, I don't like American politics I don't like the politicians yeah. of America but I don't like the UK politicians either to be right. fair but anyway, well, I don't know how you have the bandwidth to pay attention to both because, I mean, <laughs> I was completely swept up in the whole um, Brexit thing because we moved here, you know, in time for the referendum, right? And um, I was devastated after the result. Yep. Um, <laughs> and we and we live in this little village in Kent, and I knew that Kent had mostly gone uh, to leave, <laughs> and um, and I remember being on the on the morning of and I you know 
I, like many people, had checked my phone in the wee hours in the morning to see what the result was and was so upset about it and was grateful that I was actually expected in London that day because I did not want to face any of my neighbours. I was so... Because I didn't know how individuals had voted, but knowing kind of how Kent in general went, I knew I was I was just very suspicious. I bet you voted. You know? right, I, mean, right, I just right. didn't... I didn't want to face <laughs> any of them. Um, and I actually... I took refuge in bookshops in London. Right. Um there, there were a couple of uh, really good ones, and it was it. They, they did feel like refuges um, for me, just to. Yeah, I mean, what's happening in with Brexit is not kind of unlike what's happening in uh, America in some ways, mm. like or not just even just America and UK. There are, there is a, a an increase in right wing authoritarian anti migrant pro border anti-human politics you know yeah. across the globe at this point and but certainly all the way across Europe and uh, and and America uh the kind of historical allies are uh yeah going the way of the the historical people that they thought that were their enemies yeah yeah although whether we were ever squeaky clean i mean i'm not too convinced in the just war concept of the second world war or whatever i think uh, as much as it may have happened to accidentally be that america and uh, the uk were generally on the right side of that war it was only it was through an accident of history yeah. um certainly there were lots of supporters of, of, of yes this Nazis is what gets in this me. country and, and probably in America too. No um, I read uh, One Summer 1927, is it? One Summer 1927 by Bill Bryson. And it was such a revelation to me to realise um, how popular fascism was just generally. Like yeah. it wasn't... It wasn't embarrassing to admit that you were a fascist. No. I mean, it wasn't admitting. It was a proud kind yeah. of there were. And that was in the US, <laughs> not just in Italy and yeah. Germany and whatever. Um, it was really, it was really prominent. And the KKK was hugely prominent in the US at the time. It, they, they were in all sorts of positions of power. Like, you know, if you, if you had a mayor, uh, they were likely in the clan or governor or whatever. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's just, it is so easy to think that because we don't, or hopefully we don't think those things are acceptable now, that we always thought right. that way, that it was actually, it has been an insidious influence. Yeah. Um, and it's always been global as well. That, that yeah. now, now we've got the internet, it's meant that, you know, fascists and uh, Nazis and right-wing people can find each other, uh, which is the downside of the fact that, you know, LGBTQ people can find each right. other too. And so it means whatever group you're from, you can find your other people like that online and there's lots of global sharing of ideas and information. But fascism and right-wing and racism has always kind of been global. Like the, the KKK and the Nazis exchanged information at different times. They, they, they inspired each other in different ways. And yeah. that work, that goes back further, you know. And so, yeah, and, and I, I'm saying all of this like like I've always known it, but I've not yeah. always known this stuff. 
Um, and I'm still only at scratching the surface of understanding, you know, the politics of what it means to be like both of us, a white person. Yeah. <laughs> like, because we haven't been taught our own history in our own schools. Like, I, I don't know about, well, I'm pretty sure that America is not taught like full history in schools. No. And no UK definitely isn't. No. Yeah. There's some, <laughs> oh, we could really get into some stuff here. For, for different reasons. So one of the things one of the reasons why Americans don't we don't learn our own history correctly is because there's this strange idea that teaching the bad things that we did is somehow unpatriotic. Yeah, yeah, you get that. <laughs> so here, there, there's that kind of element, um, and then you've got um, the curricula being developed in Texas. Like for some reason, Texas has a stranglehold on the textbooks that are used in public education in the US. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if you know a lot about Texas, but <laughs> they, uh, they're pretty uh, right-leaning when it comes to a lot of things. And so you, you get a lot of anti-science kind of stuff in there. And you also get a lot of revisionism when it comes to slavery and the Civil War and I know, I remember being taught that slavery um, was kind of only incidentally a cause of the Civil War, that it wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't the real issue. Right. <laughs> it was, it was really states' rights. That's uh, Although to be fair, know. in some ways, it was like, there was, you know, there were slave owners on both sides of that war. Yeah, I'm not saying, but I'm not yeah, trying to say yeah, that I, slavery not... or racism belong only to one geographic Indeed. area in the US. I definitely sure. wouldn't say that. But I do know that certainly my own education was lacking yes, right. in, in these respects. And so kind of, well, this we, is one of the importances of reading yeah. throughout your life is that sometimes you, you get to learn the stuff that you should have learned. Exactly. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I feel yeah. the same way. And in fact, in the, in the UK, what you're taught is, you're generally taught that the empire is quite good like there's this revisionist history around colonization and right. imperialism and then we get taught about slavery as like oh that was a bad thing that america that did, did. <laughs> yeah. where, where it was we we yeah. we we you know any uk english people listening we made slavery as well like we took it there it wasn't just us it was the spanish the portuguese the dutch but it was the europeans that did the slavery and i'm not saying that that lets off what those europeans did when they became americans but but it, yeah. it it's on us as much if not more um and certainly what we learn is like america they had the they they've they they've got the slavery but they also they're the ones with the civil rights movement as well so we learn about mm. your civil rights movement yeah. we don't learn about the uk uh civil rights movements of like people of color in this country yeah. fighting for their rights it's so interesting the way and it goes and i down. have heard some frustration from uh, from vme people that i know that so often the conversation is about the black experience in the us right. rather than the uk and and that they can feel a bit left out there because right. it is it is quite a distinct experience yeah sure um, and the way that racism yeah. works in different countries is different yeah and like in order for us to, so even though that everybody's sharing all of this information and being inspired by each other kind of globally it's also important to look at the specifics and then i mean i my niece is a girl of color um i'm looking around to see if there, oh yeah there is a picture of her behind there but that's when she was Aww. really young um she's 13 now so that's meant that 
for the last 13 years while I've, while she's been alive my understanding of race has been slightly changed by having family members of, yeah. who are not white and and seeing how they're treated and seeing how I'm treated when holding her hand walking down the street how that's read by the society around me um and so that's made it very much more pertinent to me but I feel like now most at least progressive whatever that means white people are much more aware of these issues than they were um because of the way that the the global culture is going yeah i do think that we have to be um really careful in avoiding what you were just saying the uk maybe sometimes does about the us in sort of recognizing the problems that those people do mm-hmm. that they do and um that that white uh, progressive people can can be very blind to the to their own <laughs> yeah. ways that they're contributing to problems. Right. You know, uh, that I should say that we are contributing to right, problems. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I just slipped into that. See I how know, easy it's it is. Easy to do. I, I, yeah. yeah, right. And that's that's definitely the thing. It's like um, is there was definitely there was a few years. It doesn't happen as much now, but there was a few years where I was just I was often getting endlessly annoyed by people on Twitter who are white saying white people are terrible, and I'm like, yes, we are. But when you're saying that, it's like you're talking about other people, right? And you're not saying we white people are terrible. Yeah. Fine, say yeah. that if you want to it's not that much it's not the most useful uh statement to make it's not inaccurate but i mean at least see your own complicity within it absolutely and that's definitely for me like it's like so my niece's dad is from jamaica and so like that's the other side of like i'm white and I've benefited from colonization and imperialism and that's like what happened in jamaica is part of my heritage as much as 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 it is like my 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 niece's dad's heritage whereas for my niece she's got both sides of the empire like within her Mm. like and and it's gonna have to live it hopefully in a world that will be allow her to thrive i hope but i mean i fear uh for the world at the moment like the way that it is around all of these things and like you say it isn't just in america it's easy for people in the uk to say oh look trump's terrible yeah he's terrible but not particularly that much more terrible or less terrible than other right-wing or even democratic well not democrats that's the word uh like he's not necessarily structurally that much different he's practically different he's he does a different kind of performance he he does terrible terrible things don't get me wrong mm. he's he's worse <laughs> i'd have voted for hillary i'm not i'm not claiming i wouldn't but like it's easy for uk people to point at him whereas you know we've got internment camps in this country we've yeah. got like you know we've got Theresa may is is, is as terrible a, a political figure if less kind of like doesn't have as many lol moments and doesn't have as many like oh my god She's evil moments, but she is kind of evil and she yeah, is kind of I mean, ridiculous. I suppose you don't have as much fear that she's going to start a nuclear war just as a pissing contest. Right. You know? <laughs> That's true. But she um, might start one for other reasons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, um, <laughs> I mean, like I say, I was devastated after the referendum here, but um, then when the election 
in the U.S. happened oh, a few months later. One-two punch. It, yeah, it was. It, it almost felt like for for me that Brexit was a rehearsal for for this other calamity that happened. Um, and I'll tell you, I I actually did um, an episode of Dear Reader. I had a show going that day on the on the Tuesday of the voting that it was before the results, and um, I remember that I had played at the end because it was radio I could play a song <laughs> instead of a podcast <laughs> um I had played a song from Hamilton um I, I are you familiar have you I seen Hamilton it. yet I haven't seen it. it but I've heard it endlessly, endlessly. yeah I love, I, it. I love it so much um you know the song um Dear Theodosia I do and, indeed uh, when they're singing um so Aaron Burr, the character, well, it was a historical character, Aaron Burr and, and Alexander Hamilton are singing to their respective newborn children. Really and it is, it is so beautiful and so sweet, but it's all about their hopes right. for the nation and, right. and what could be possible if they just do it right, if they get things right. It's a beautiful song anyway. That's a bit of a tearjerker. It is now, for me, completely associated with that night of the right. elections yeah. where I just just bald right I mean I can see you're, you're now kind of tearing up um, for listeners yes I'm an uh, easy crier yeah, and <laughs> there's nothing to be like, there's nothing wrong with crying it's a, a perfectly reasonable human response to such a terrible political moment um, yeah and also to you know beautiful songs make you cry regardless of whether they're indelibly linked now to terrible I know, moments I know I'm, I'm going to see Hamilton actually later this month well lucky yeah. you I know I'm really good excited. stuff I'm very I'm, <laughs> Very jealous of you for that. I am publishing a book through Unbound. Unbound are a publishing company, which means that they don't publish things that they don't think are good and that they edit. The thing that makes them different from other publishing companies is they're half publishing company and half crowdfunding company, which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books pre-order those books. They can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback, or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering. Unbound approached me in December to see if I wanted to adapt my show What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity into a book and I said yes please I definitely would like to do that and so that is what I'm doing if you go to the Unbound website and there'll be a link to this in the show notes you can find Mansplaining Masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book the way that this book is going to get made is by people like you pre-ordering it and pledging to it and people like you telling other people about it sharing it on social media recommending it to other people those kinds of things you can find out what the book is fully about by reading about it on the page there's a video of me in a purple dress and fedora with my childhood toy dolphin telling you about what the book is about But basically, Mansplaining Masculinity is about looking into myself and looking out at culture and thinking about how masculinity is constructed and created and how systematic elements contribute both to the ways that men are hurt by society, but also the ways that men hurt other people in society. It is not a book 
that says that men are the problem, but it is a book that will say that we can be part of the solution. And if you want to get an idea of what it's like before you pledge to it, you can listen to a podcast of the show that it's adapted from on the website mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. And also there was an episode of BBC Radio 4's Forethought called Liberating Men, which was a reflection on an extension of the show. So listen to those shows, see if you like what you hear, and if you do, then please do support and pledge to make mansplaining masculinity happen. I guess with all of this kind of political element, I guess it makes sense to to sort of talk about one of the things we talked about talking about before we started recording, which is that you kind of come from a religious kind of right wing culture. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I'm from South Carolina, which most people who are from South Carolina could probably say the same. It's sure. a very religious. I've heard um, Hamilton. Area. I know. <laughs> <There you go>. <laughs> <laughs> um, that taught me a lot about American <laughs> politics. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love the portrayal of Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's more evil than he's shown in Hamilton. Though. Yes, I mean, absolutely. Thomas Jefferson's like your Churchill, the one that everybody loves, but actually, the more you look yes, at him, the really worse problematic. he was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Being from South Carolina, and I, my upbringing was such that I was in both very Baptist circles, so both Southern Baptist and what they call Independent Baptist, which is even more of a fundamentalist strain of that. So if you think of Bob Jones University, which up until pretty recently didn't actually allow people to date other races. So if you were white, you could not, as part of the rules, could not date a black person. I mean, that is... It's that kind of right. independent Baptist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that just kind of shows you how much evangelicalism in the U.S. is tied up with race and racism mm-hmm. and the historical backgrounds of slavery because they use the Bible to to prop up the slavery, to justify it. Right. Um, and anyway, it, you know, I can't go into all the, uh, the, the reasons why those are still tied up together. So I had that on one side, the kind of Baptist thing, and then also a non-denominational, charismatic, faith-healing, prosperity gospel, if any of those wow. phrases mean anything to they, you. They, they do mean things to me, yeah. Yeah, um, so that was another really strong element in my upbringing. And as an adult, I've moved very far away from that, but I'm always so conscious of how fervently a part of it I was right. growing up. Right. You know, evangelicals as a whole voted in strong numbers for Trump, which was very upsetting. Quite a lot of my family members voted for Trump. That was extremely upsetting mm. to me, especially because some of them outright said that they were voting their values. And I really wondered what those values were. Yeah, because it's, it's for Trump. strangely but, hypocritical for Christian kind of religious people to vote for Trump because he isn't an embodiment of their values I would say he is well now this is interesting because the values (laughs) the values that they think they have and the values that they actually have I suspect are different right so maybe he's an embodiment of their real values but not their explicit yes although I think actually some of them are explicit if you think about 
say the temptation of um, Jesus in the wilderness, you know, and, he, and his three temptations. It's a classic kind of storytelling yeah, yeah, yeah. thing, isn't it? You've got three temptations. Uh, one of them was for power and one of them for wealth, I think, <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly. And the other boils down to invulnerability. Because there were, you know, there was a thing about being kind of ruler of the world, and then there was the thing about throwing yourself off a cliff, right? Uh, right. And then there was the thing about uh, the food and water because right. he was fasting. Right. So to me, those I've kind of boiled those down to: he rejected power, wealth, and invulnerability, and those are the very things that that Trump overtly praises those are the values that he holds like you're not you're not a winner in his eyes unless you have those three things or at least one of them so to me that seems absolutely antithetical to what christian values should be based on the text that i know (laughs) but having said that i thought a lot about this and the way the way that i approached this was because there's such a rift between conservatives and liberals in the U.S. And, and so I was trying to think to myself, okay, putting away all the terrible names that the two sides call each other. Because I've got family on that other side and we can't call each other names. So with the best will in the world, how would the two sides boil down their essential problem with the other? Right. And... I think that the essential problem that I have with conservatives in the U.S. specifically, but probably could be applied to conservatives here in the U.K. as well, is there is a fundamental contempt for weakness. Right. And that plays out in things like the prosperity gospel, I think, in, in very obvious ways. But there is a kind of association of success with divine favor I think that contempt for weakness is not exclusive to that kind of religious thinking, but I I do think that contempt for weakness is something that is shared by a lot of conservatives in the US. I think that makes sense because I mean that crosses over as well whether you're religious or not as well because yeah. there are plenty of conservative minded people who aren't particularly religious who will still have contempt for weakness. I think exactly. that's fair. Yeah. And then there's also plenty of religious people who don't have contempt for weakness Absolutely. and are excellently wonderful loving religious people. And 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 in fact like I would be inclined to sort of think in a similar way to the, what you're saying in terms of like, you know, there are if you're following my reading of Christ's teachings, yeah. then you would be welcoming in migrants. You yeah. would be, you know, a, a, you know, you would be not passing bills that harm sex workers. All sorts of things that Christ would not have been into. Um, but at the same time, as a reader, uh, you'll be aware that people read texts completely differently from each other, right? They do, but I think also, this is another recent epiphany I've had, that religious people that, say, would vote for Trump, (laughs) that kind of of religious right, which tends to be more evangelical and less mainline. Yes, when they say they want a Christian nation, this is just a recent epiphany I've had. (laughs) It isn't that they want the American government to behave the way Christ taught us to behave. It's that they want Christian culture to have dominance and preferential treatment. Um, and they, they, they don't actually want... The, they, the government is not 
an individual. So the government doesn't count as as sort of um, obeying Christ's commands, if that makes sense. Right. Um, so I, this was this was kind of a light bulb moment for me. So when they when they say that the U.S. is a Christian nation, what they're asking for is cultural dominance, not for the U.S. as a country to treat people, its own or others, with the kind of love um, and protection of the vulnerable that uh, is such a prominent aspect of the Gospels. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's There's these kind of interesting contradictions between what people say that they believe and what they do and what they and the text that they're basing it all on it's all it's it's it is really complicated the way that these things kind of play out in in reality and it's it's strange as well like i mean i don't know where you stand kind of in terms of your relationship to religion do you know i'm not actually sure if i know the answer to that either <laughs> and i was gonna say, say you know like i have um I'm uncomfortable with so much religious language now because I'm uncomfortable with my former self. Right, interesting. Um, And so it has been really interesting to me now for some religious words to have gained suddenly new resonance now. Um, like, Like the word repentance, which suddenly that word, repent, it's kind of it it keeps coming to my mind as a sort of oh that's what that's what this is about because there's no other secular like non-religious word that I can think of that adequately expresses how much I think the US needs to turn away from the path it's currently on do you do you know what I mean like, I can see what you mean yeah, um, yeah. there's just there's something about that and you think about like the prophets in the wilderness calling out repent repent to me that is the image that keeps coming to my mind and the word that keeps coming to my mind and I don't know how to it's it's weird because I I feel like having come from that culture there's somehow a responsibility now to try to uh, to try to persuade right. the people that I know that this is this is the wrong way to go down, and it's it's a really hard thing to broach. I mean, usually we just avoid politics, if, right? You know. <laughs> I mean, I, I know what you mean as well because I do think that myself, like in a different way, I've got a very different background and and certainly very not conservative background and not not very religious at all any, in any way either my background but I do think quite often that people with privileges of whatever kind need to kind of like so I don't think that people of colour or like uh, trans people or whatever need to be doing the work of changing other people's minds right. they just need to be living their lives in as best way they can in the oppressive structures that are around them yes. but I think that those of us who have the ear of the people who have control over those structures, we need to be doing the work of trying to dismantle those structures yeah. and trying to convince people like, I will spend hours having an online argument with a men's rights activist mm. but I would not expect a woman to do that yeah. but I do think that as a man I need to be getting other men to be thinking like deconstructing masculinity thinking what all of those sorts of things that we kind of have have touched on in in on your podcast episode that we recorded before this <laughs> um yeah. and so I think I can understand why coming from that 
conservative right wing white background yeah. you would feel that you need to engage with that and change it like absolutely understand why but you i do that, that online do do as it? well yeah 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 I, i'm much more comfortable engaging that kind of thinking on online forums oh yes then actually talking with my family about it well yeah when yeah. it's your family it's super hard i mean <laughs> so personal <laughs> yeah i mean I, I agreed i mean my gran never saw her granddaughter because my gran was racist mm. and you know my as soon as my gran exhibited signs that she was going to be racist around my niece oh, wow. my sister made the understandable decision to avoid that happening because yeah. you know it's gonna it's bad enough that she's got to learn what racism is at a certain point but you know she doesn't need to be learning it from two from a gran um and you know my gran before she died uh, had uh, nurses who were people of color and she had a kind of damascus moment but still didn't get to see her granddaughter un- and reasonably and also i'm not sh- i'm not sure i even trust that damascus moment yeah. is, is it are you really seeing someone's humanity if they're nursing you to health and you like them mm. like 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 aren't you just seeing what they've done for you like their tenderness towards you i don't even yeah. know how you change some some of these entrenched beliefs even as I think people can change they do change I've changed I suppose it's it's helpful again to go back to the uh what we were talking about before I think maybe on my Um, podcast yeah it gets gets blurry (laughs) Um, when you do two back to back yeah just uh about not falling into the trap of thinking of in binary terms right of well before I was racist and now I'm not racist. I mean, right. you know, that there's... Because right, uh, you're never not. I mean, exactly. in a way, like, we are, we are whether we are racist overtly or not, we benefit from racism. I was just thinking of Monty Python. Like, I was racist, but I got better. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, it kind of denies... I mean, also, like, everybody's... Everybody of all races yeah. are being... Uh, incubated within a racist culture so yeah. we've all got some elements with it of it within within us um as well as out, outside us kind of like what i was talking about with masculinity earlier on yeah or like patriarchy uh, again um, when you were talking about the kind of uh fear of vulnerability i was thinking very much that's also very much a big thing in patriarchy like yeah. vulnerability weakness like uh you you know survival of the fittest all of these kinds of ideas they're not always religious ideas like survival of the fittest is a science in inverted commas idea <laughs> um yeah so but like th- these are what build these attitudes and it's super hard when they're your family members like uh, yeah. m- the, the, the most problematic of my family members has died like they're, they're all a bit easier for me to grapple with yes they're not all perfect there's i'm not saying they're not racist i'm not saying they're not uh haven't got issues around things they say about gender or trans issues or whatever and there's loads of things I'm trying to educate myself on and my family but uh it sounds like you've got a harder 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 gap a harder gulf for you to try and cross over well I mean I want to be careful not to feel like I don't want to feel like I'm throwing my family under the bus right like, they're, I mean, they're fully rounded human um, beings yeah i'm not suggesting that's yeah, yeah, the thing. Absolutely. They're, they're not just one word right there are lots of things yeah um and i i think well i know my own journey wasn't you know i didn't have a single moment where suddenly i changed right. my opinion on all sorts of things right. you know it happened gradually over time um 
I'm thinking of um, a podcast that I heard. I don't know if you know the podcast On Being with yeah. Krista Tippett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do know that. She had a conversation with Ruby Sales once. Um, I'm not sure how long ago it was, but R- Ruby was the, the first. She was the little girl. It's an iconic image when they integrated schools. Right. And, you know, there are all these white people lined up, white women, like house housewives, mm-hmm. uh, screaming at her and, and everything. And anyway... So she's obviously now, as an adult, something of an icon for the civil rights movement. And she she said a lot during their sort of 45 minute long conversation or whatever. But one of the things that really stuck with me was she was kind of confronting some white people's tendency just to write off other white people as, okay, well, they're just racist or evil or or whatever. And so therefore, I'm just going to write them off. And was kind of, my memory of this is that she was challenging challenging us to to make the effort to win them over um, and she said do you not think was it something like do you not think that white people can't be redeemed and there's that there's another word which again just has kind of a new resonance for me that word redeem or redemption I want to be careful I realize that it might sound like I, I'm saying that all my family are racist which is not what I'm saying right I'm, I'm using that as a parallel just that I think there are a lot of really troubling religious and political beliefs that have got all kind of tangled up that I see in some of my family members and 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 friends and and with the utmost humility this is the thing I I really need to remember because I know that I have a tendency towards uh self-righteousness well you know (laughs) want to sidestep who doesn't and anyway you know if you're brought up in a kind of righteous environment righteousness gets into your yeah, it's your personality. but with the humility of knowing that I thought many of the same things, you yeah. know, and held that same contempt for weakness, right. um, I feel I sometimes feel that I, I I remember Ruby Sales' words and think, well, do I do I not think that other people can't make the same, uh, not the same journey, a similar journey that right. that I have made, and then also. Am I so confident in where I'm standing right now? (laughs) This is the thing about having thought such completely different things when you were younger is that I think sometimes you feel like you can't trust yourself. Like I can't trust myself to know that I'm in the right here. Right. No, I know what you you mean. I know what you mean. I mean, that's what I mean. I mean, I I don't even come from a similar background, but I can relate to very much like a lot of the things you're saying. Like I have changed my, what, what I believe. And I, and then you're like, you see how bad the things you did or said or thought in the past were and you're like well can I trust this yeah this now what I think and I think probably not like I think probably it's a bad idea to 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 get into a position where you're like yeah I'm I'm all right I don't have to think about, <laughs> I don't have to think about anything I'm doing because I'm it. just <laughs> like that's probably a mistake but I mean and that's oh. the thing and like you say if you want to change people's minds and I don't think it's every. I'm not saying it's anyone's responsibility to change people's minds, but you want to change your, the people around you's minds. I want to change the people around yeah. me's minds. So if we're using I statements, that's I guess okay. But like, if you want to do that, you can't. You can't do it by shouting at them. Right. It just doesn't work. No, as it doesn't. much as you want to shout at them, it doesn't work. And this, and do you know what? Even <laughs> arguing doesn't. Really. Arguing doesn't work either, even if you're using calm tones. And this is where 
we get back to why I think stories and right. reading are so important. Right. I mean, I think the tagline for Dear Reader is now that it's a, a no review book show about what we're reading and why it matters. And right. that is, this is one of the reasons why it matters that reading a book that demonstrates to you how this is working in the world is so much more persuasive, is so much more effective, right. has so much more of a chance of actually altering your perception than having an argument about it right you know no i agree i agree with that totally. <laughs> there's a there's a book i read uh, not too long ago it was so wonderful um called the glorious heresies by lisa mcinerney that's another one that read because we talked about the power earlier in, right. on my podcast that one uh, women's prize for fiction um well lisa mcinerney uh won the Women's Prize for Fiction for this book, The Glorious Heresies, back in the 2016, so the year before. It's set in Cork City, and all the characters are people you'd probably, that most, I'll step away from the you, (laughs) that most people would probably cross their street to avoid. We're talking gangsters and pimps and drug addicts and um, just the uh, kind of underworld, the underbelly of Cork City, And um, one of the characters actually says to another that he thinks that um, grace is reserved only for the people who've done the least to need it. That's a great line. Isn't that a great line? (laughs) And, um, and, you know, all these characters are characters who've done the most to need it, for sure. But um, one of the things that I really loved about this book was that it's so perfectly illustrated the dangers of sanctimony in in every kind of form, it, including religious sanctimony, but um, just that the the danger of self righteousness of of sanctimonious do gooder attitudes that the harm that that can do, right. even when the intentions are good. Right. And there's a great phrase. Uh, now there's loads of swearing in that book. Uh, which is also really fun because it's Irish swearing. (laughs) (laughs) And specifically Cork swearing. Yeah, the Irish are Um, very good at swearing. They are very good at it. Um, But there's there's one line that I've, uh, one phrase, one epithet that I've kind of taken to heart. And so when I feel myself getting really self-righteous or in danger of getting judgmental, I say to myself, Jess, don't be a judgy bollocks. <laughs> it's great moral. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's good. That all very much resonates uh, with, yeah, with with I guess part of my my journey into the way I look at the world is that yeah, you, you know, you kind of I, I try to always try to think like, what's the human here? Like, how can I, like, yes, there's terrible systematic things that people are part of and yes there's terrible people as well there are Mm. like as you said earlier on you know people are the worst yeah uh, and worse than the worst um where that's a kind of contradiction but you know there are there are people who I think of as like almost irredeemable but that said there's like still human within all of us you know one of the reasons I've I've I do getting better acquainted is to talk and connect and see what commonalities people have as well Mm. as the things that separate us and I think yeah not being a a judgy bollocks is uh, (laughs) like definitely something that I've tried to do although at different moments my relationship to that idea are different because because it just 
the way the world works, you know, that, that I, I definitely think we're all human beings, but that doesn't mean that I think that we shouldn't punch Nazis, for example. I just think we should feel what this is why I say at the moment, like, I think we should punch Nazis, but we should feel bad about it. (laughs) And and, and that's the thing, like that, that people who don't feel bad about doing that, uh, as much as I understand, you have to look out for them. <laughs> yeah, as much as I understand the initial impulse of not feeling bad about it, over time you're just going to get too comfortable punching people, and they're not going to, you know, yeah. they'll stop being Nazis and they'll start being people who are a little bit almost Nazis, and then you kind of go down the down down the scale to just you know people you don't like, and so it has to be it has to be balanced this stuff, um, but at the same time it can go one way or the other. So I think. Sometimes when people hear the idea of like, let's not judge people, they think that that means let's let everybody do what they want to do. And I, I'm not saying you're saying right. that, but I I'm, think there no, is No, but that I'm glad you brought that up because I would hate for people to think that that's what I was saying. Because, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah. yeah, you definitely have to um, condemn the condemnable in terms of um, actions. You know, I mean, you yeah. have to call out... You have to call out racism. Right. You have to call out sexism. You have I mean, these are things that need to be called out, and I'm not saying they shouldn't be. What I try to avoid is just putting myself up into some sort of superior position. Like I want to call it out from a place of knowing that I have also been guilty of doing right. that. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's that. Yeah. Me too. Of course. I'm a man who's made a show about masculinity, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm comfortable with the idea of like yeah, being a part of the problem is the way to kind of solve that problem. Is to say I am a part of that problem. Yeah. And how can I change how I am being? And what can we learn from each other about how we're all changing and trying to be better? Yes. And all of that stuff. I mean, this has been a great conversation. I mean, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I really loved it. Before we started, I thought we were going to talk more about reading than we have. But I feel like even though we've we've talked less about reading than I expected, it's still been about reading in some ways, yeah. so like engaging with the world and like working it out. And like you say, the the best thing is that it all came back to reading in the end. It did. And, you know, I get to talk about reading all the time for my own show. And I have lots more to say about other things as well. So it's kind of nice to get an opportunity. Right, You're a a rounded, three-dimensional person. You can talk about other things but reading. I mean, that's how I feel about masculinity sometimes. That's why I was very pleased to do your show where we're talking about books. Because all I've been talking about recently is my opinions about masculinity. And, uh, you know, I have lots of them. But, you know, I'm more than just that. Right. I've got layers, people. Right, right. <laughs> so it's been it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you today. Uh, the last question that I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? Do I have anything to plug? Well, I suppose I will have. <laughs> yeah, my own show, Dear Reader. Have a look out for that. It, it's still too abstract at the moment for me to give a more concrete plug than that. But if if you want to hear more about right. why I think it matters and what I'm reading. Right. Um, well, sure, they can check it out because it exists on Mixcloud. Right? Oh, so well, yeah, it does, it. actually. They can stream it. I'm really bad at plugging my no, own no, stuff, aren't I? Um, everybody, everybody is. Particularly, the, 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 yeah, everybody is. I'm bad. We recorded a, your, a conversation for your show before this. I think the one thing I didn't manage to plug was my the, the my book. My I'm, actual I'm book. definitely going yeah, to make I'm sure, sure that that's included, yeah, though. That, don't that's, worry. And that's, what, and that's what I do for my guests when they don't say the, the big thing that they forgot as well. So yes, it's, it's perfectly reasonable. But yeah. anyway, Mixcloud. The ba- yeah, the backlog of Dear Reader is on Mixcloud at the moment so that's mixcloud.com forward slash dear reader show right and they can they can hear that there and then is there somewhere that they can like follow you to keep up to date with you so when that you do go into the podcast yes you, they, you can let them know yes thank you for that as well so <laughs> um, 
I need to be prompted for all this stuff. Uh, yeah, social media. So I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And for all of them, you're looking for at Dear Reader Show. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Thank uh, you. The last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Oh, goodbye. Bye, everyone. If you're interested in hearing about masculinity and what patriarchy does to men and to all people, if you go to the Unbound website, and there'll be a link to this in the show notes, you can find Mansplaining Masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book. Unbound is a kind of cross between a publishing company and a crowdfunding company, which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books pre-order those books they can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering you can find all of that stuff over on mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk if you're interested in reading about me and my dad and our relationship and dementia and memory and time and history and politics and love and friendship check out my essay series down to a sunless sea memories of my dad as well as making getting better acquainted i also co-produce and i guess star in the magical realist audio drama podcast the family tree in order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be we need your help so if you can afford to then please do consider signing up to our patreon appeal you can follow getting better acquainted on twitter at gba podcast you can like getting better acquainted on facebook and you can find getting better acquainted on itunes soundcloud those kind of places And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.